Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Bless God. Amen. Let me get organized up here. Look at the size of this Bible. If you're going to Bible bash someone, you'd do it with this one, wouldn't you? It's got some weight to it, some heft, some authority. So, uh, but a little cheat sheet. I always bring my Bible to church, but I, but I, but I, I don't actually read from the Bible. I read from my iPad. It's just easier for preaching. But any, who's got their Bible with them this morning? Anybody carrying a Bible to church? Come on, two people. Oh Lord, we got some work to do in here this morning. Jesus' name. No, no, here we are. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you or your phone, your device, whatever it is, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8 through to 14. When Roz got in touch with me a couple of weeks ago and asked me to come and speak this morning, she said, oh, look, Adam, we're going to be in the middle of a, a Jonah series and all that sort of stuff. And she said, you're welcome to continue on, or you can just preach whatever's in your heart to preach, which is kind of music to the ears of a preacher and very dangerous as well. So, uh, we're going to try and stay on track, but I really did put a lot of time in prayer, just um, just really thinking and praying about what, what it is that God wants to say to us this morning. Not say to you this morning, say to us this morning. And I think a good philosophy for preparing sermons is uh, preach out of what's cooking up in your own kitchen. And so this is something that really challenged me as I, uh, as I approached it and as I studied it through in the lead up. In actual fact, I was just saying to Ian this morning, I had two or three sermons that I'd kind of chalked out and, and I was dead set on one particular. I'm like, this is the one, Lord, this is the one. This is the one. I wake up this morning, this is not the one. This is not the one. And I'm like, oh my Lord. What am I? <laughs> so this is the one apparently. So um, if it's terrible, blame him, not me. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8 and 14 in the NIV says, the end of the matter is better than the beginning. And patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why are the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. Have you ever just said, oh, look, man, wouldn't it be good to go back to the good old days? How good was it back then when we were at Youth Alive singing the flock still rocks and, you know, Everybody in Newcastle was a Christian. Who remembers those days? Nobody, nobody, nobody. But we can look back even on the, the, the days of old in church and go, I oh, remember that season in church, God was moving. Remember that time in my life, God was speaking. Remember that season in life, things were happening. God was blessing me, my business, my family, my friends. All the things were going well. And it's easy, particularly after navigating a couple of tricky years. I don't know about you, but it's been a couple of tricky years, has it not? We've had to navigate things and things have shifted and changed and perspectives and people and everything's kind of, it's almost like it was a deck of cards that's been thrown up in the air and the cards didn't land back in the order we wanted them to land in. But nevertheless, here we are. The Bible says it's unwise to look back on the good old days and to pine and to ponder over those as if they were those days today. In fact, I think the prevailing sentiment, what I believe the Holy Ghost is speaking into the life of the church, the big C church across the earth today, if I can be so bold, 
is to, now I can't speak on behalf of the entire church, but I just get a sense in my spirit that God is wanting to do something new. When I listen to podcasts and preachers and talk to pastors around Australia and the globe, and even just a couple of weeks ago, many of us from, from Macquarie Life here and across the nation, pastors from across the nation, converged on the Gold Coast, suffering for Jesus. Can I get a good amen? It was terrible. That Sofitel, those beds are so soft. Darn it, I told him I want a harder bed next time. <laughs> We're out there suffering for Jesus, but the sense that we got in the conference is that we're on the verge, we're on the precipice of God doing something fresh and new. In fact, Isaiah chapter 43 says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you say amen? It says, now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? In other words, is people are going to see it, and there's some that won't. There's some that won't because they don't want to. There's some that don't and won't because they're afraid. There's some that won't because it's offensive to them. Some won't because it's comfortable. But then there will be some that will see it and embrace it. Any early adopters in the, in the, in the house this morning? Anybody still here with the iPhone 8? Friend, you are not an early adopter. God bless you, sir. Does it still work? A seven. Can I get a six? Can I get a six? Can I get a five? Five. My auctioneer skills, terrible auctioneer skills come in. I'm asking the question this morning is, are we willing to perceive, see, hear, sense what God is doing on the earth today? God is the God of the new thing, the new song, the new day. His mercies are fresh every morning. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life. Yes, God thinks generationally, but he also thinks, what is he doing next? And I do believe, like the children of Israel, followed the pillar of fire by day and the cloud by night, it moved constantly. Therefore, the people of God must move. Sometimes we have to move in directions that may feel a little uncomfortable, may not feel like, oh, I'm not used to that. I don't really know how that's going to work out. But we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. We're a people that walk by faith. First of all, we're a people of the book and we're a people of the way and we're people of faith. Can you say amen? So God wants to do new things in our life, in our church, in our families today. And so I want, to, I want to take you to a place where Jesus did a new thing. Is that okay? Jesus does a new thing for the very first time in John chapter 2. It's called the wedding at Cana. Who recalls the story? It says on the third day, this is John chapter 2, verse 2. It says on the third day there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. That's a family do, Okay. It says, and Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, who knows, that's a bad day. When the wine runs out, not alcoholic wine, of course. We're all Christians in here, aren't we? When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, notice she's been referred to as the mother of Jesus twice. That's important. It says, we have no wine. And Jesus says, woman. It's a bit sharp, don't you think? If, if I called my mother woman, I'd tell you what I'd get. I'd get a swift clip behind the ears. And I'd say, oh, sorry, mumsy, uh, <laughs> I won't do that again. But Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? For my hour has not yet come. And then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars of water for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Verse 8 says, And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, had now become to wine, he did not know where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves 
the good wine first, and when everyone's drunk freely, or just let's remove it when everyone's drunk, right? It says, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first or the new thing that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his, his glory. Why? So that his disciples would believe in him. I'm believing there's a new season in church life where his disciples will believe in him again. I think we've gone too long in the modern church not trusting and believing that Jesus can actually do what he says he can do. I think sometimes we're so busy being nice. Is this okay? Might step on a few toes this morning, but guess what? I don't work here. I only have to keep one person happy this morning, okay? <laughs> right. We get so busy being nice, trying to be nice to culture, trying to be nice to people, trying to be nice, 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 nice. Well, can I encourage you this morning? Nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus was ever nice. And nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever call us to be nice. We're called to be kind. And there's a big difference between being nice and being kind. If I'm out to lunch with Jacques, and he's eating, and he's got barbecue sauce all over his face because he loves those ribs. And I'm sitting there a little grossed out, to be honest with you. This didn't actually happen. But, um, but if he's got a bit of barbecue sauce hanging off here, a nice person would maybe just be polite and ignore it. But is that loving? No, it's not. He's got barbecue sauce all over his face, and he looks like an animal. Right? But if I say, you know what, Jacques? I love you, bro, and these ribs are good, but you've got a bit of barbecue sauce. Just, what's that? That's kindness. That's me showing love because I'm concerned about what people think of him in that moment as he's got barbecue sauce on his face. I believe that the church is not called to be nice and placate culture. I think we're to be loving and we're to be kind, but we're to be truth-tellers that speak the truth in season, to be seasoned with grace. And truth is what the Bible teaches us to be. See, Jesus does a new thing, and he's not necessarily nice. He's a little bit put back by the fact that he's been a little bit worked, a little bit manipulated into, into sort of uh, emerging into his public ministry before it was his time. But I want to encourage you with this. He still moved. He still worked a miracle. He still blessed that household. And there's no, there's, there's, there's no way this is not intentional that Jesus wrought his very first miracle at a wedding. God is for marriage. I want to remind us of that in the church. It's God's idea. One man, one woman for life. Amen? Now, it doesn't matter what stage or place or situation our past has presented when it comes to marriage, but can I encourage you, the one you are in now is the will of God for your life. And he has blessing and he has purpose in there for it. He blessed that wedding with his presence. He blessed that wedding with his power. Therefore, marriage, as we know, is part of God's plan for your life. And as I was praying and reading and studying this week, and mostly this morning, I got a sense that God wanted me today to pray for marriages in this church. And so I'm going to do that in just a second. But if you would just want to, in your mind's eye, if there's an area of your relationship right now where you need prayer, where you need God to intervene with his presence, his power afresh, then I want you to just, I'm not going to get you to stand up, but just grab the hand of your spouse next to you. Or maybe you've got kids and they're going through a challenge in their marriage right now. And the enemy's attacking that thing, the very bedrock of our society. If we build strong marriages, we will have strong churches and strong churches produce a strong nation. Amen. So maybe you want to stand in the gap for someone this morning in Jesus' name. Go ahead, grab the hand of your spouse next to you and let's pray. Father, I thank you today 
for every marriage that's here. Lord, and I pray blessing and favor upon it. Lord, we know that your will is for us to subdue the earth and multiply, is to get together, to be married, to have kids, to, 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 to raise them in the care and the nurture of the Lord. And we know that the enemy is all about tearing down and ripping down the institute of marriage. So we come against him and his works and effects in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you'll restore, that you'll replenish, that you'll reinvigorate, Lord, that you'll re-inject a, a sense of first love in these marriages this morning, Lord, and you will pour out your blessing on them afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, hey, here's just a couple of things real quick when it comes to us embracing what Jesus wants to do in our life in terms of a new thing. And the first thing is this, is that God, I believe, first works in the unseen areas of our life. Where did Jesus work? He didn't work in Jerusalem first. He didn't show up on a big platform, on a big stage. He didn't look for a big crowd. It wasn't the Sermon on the Mount. That came later. Guess where he showed up? He showed up in Cana, which is about five k's from his home as the crow flies. It was a small provincial town with nothing to write home about. It was just Cana. It was kind of just like, I don't know, name a place. It was like, I don't want to say. <laughs> I don't want to name anywhere around here in case you lived there, right? But... Um, Hey, I live in Macquarie Hills. It's just like Macquarie Hills, you know. It's kind of tucked in behind Cardiff and Warners Bay. I, when people say, where do you live? I say, I say Warners Bay Heights. That's what I say, <laughs> all right? Live up here. And, but here's the, it, was, it was a bit of a no-name town. Nothing special ever happened there. We don't read of any prior miracles. We don't see any future miracles happen there. It was behind closed doors, just in front of family. There was no stage, no microphone, no lights, camera action, no podcast, no book, no, no album deal, no preaching circuit. No gig, nothing. It was just Jesus and people that knew him. The people that were most familiar with him would have had his cousins, his second cousins, the awkward uncle that nobody wants to see at Christmas. They were all there. And Jesus works a miracle in these unseen moments of their life. And can I propose to you this morning that maybe sometimes we're looking for God to do something big out there through the hand of a, and, uh, through the hand of a pastor or a leader or a prophet or, or waiting for a word from God, from a preacher or something like that, when all the time Jesus is saying, just get with me in your prayer closet. Just open your Bible. Just begin to read what I've already said. Just study this word. Just commune with this worship. Hey, put some worship music on in the shower. Take a long shower. Commute. Turn your commute into a Bible college. Listen to a podcast. Do something in the unseen areas. And I guarantee you, when you are faithful in little, God can trust you with much. Some of us sit there going, God, when are you going to do something big in my life? And I believe God's sitting there going, when are you going to do something small in yours? Sometimes it's about the small, seemingly, seemingly insignificant things that actually add up to be quite significant. How do you get to know God? It's not in church. Yeah, you'll learn about him, but how do you get to know him? It's in that secret place of the Most High. It's the unseen things. Can I encourage you? Don't, don't, don't confuse obscurity with insignificance. I was a youth pastor who pastored a great youth ministry down in the Hawkesbury. A few hundred kids, and my ministry was kind of going like that, and I thought, this is awesome. I'm getting invited to preach places. I was young, didn't know anything, thought that was what it was all about. Clearly it's not. Right, And I thought, oh, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, God calls me to Tamworth. And thank God he did, because those steak sandwiches out front of the Tudor Hotel during country music are to die for. Can I get a good amen? And if you don't like country music, you're not going to like heaven. All right? And I'm just telling you right now. The Slim Dusty, 
and Gabriel rocking out. It's gonna bit of Hank Williams. It's gonna be good. Trust me. We're going for a real hoedown shindig. Whatever you want to call it, heaven's gonna be good. All right. If you like rap, I'm sorry. There's another place for you. Oh, it's called purgatory if you're catholically inclined. So uh, <laughs> work off that debt. Anyway, um, no, <laughs> I'm getting distracted and I've got four minutes left. That's a terrible thing for a preacher. When I went to Tamworth, I thought, man, this is the end of my ministry. <laughs> And to some degree, it was. Because my ministry before was built on motivation to serve myself, not serve others. And I learned very quickly as a young man in my 20s that ministry was not about me. It's about Jesus and about people. And it was the greatest grace that God could have ever given me. It's the greatest kindness he could have ever shown me. Because you can live in the deception of thinking that your life is all about you. <laughs> but it's not, right? In fact, if you're a Christian, you don't even own your life anymore. You've got no rights over your life, Right? He, he commands you to, to offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, right? The problem with the living sacrifice always wants to crawl off the altar, you know? We always want to do what we want to do. But God's purpose is so, it's so intrinsically inclined with our ability to not mistake obscure things for insignificance. It was the obscurity of Tamworth, a little country town out there, you know? It's grown a lot now. It's a lot different. But back then, it was still a little country town, you know? And uh, I've got to tell you, it was, that, it was some of those obscure moments that were the most formative in my pastoral ministry. And I'm just wondering, what obscure things in your life are you, are, are, you, are, are you maybe despising at the moment that you need to embrace a little bit more? No, small things in life lead to big things in Jesus' name. Second thing, real quick, and that he comes to renew our perspective. You notice he renewed his mother's perspective very quickly, didn't he? <laughs> he said, woman, what has this got to do with me? A bit sharp, but kind. Because to this point, Mary had always approached Jesus as my son, yeah. my beloved, yeah. the one that, can you imagine, she's been entrusted with the Messiah. Don't, talk about helicopter mum, she would, when he tripped over, picked him up, you know, we've all seen the Passion of the Christ, that scene where Jesus, as a little boy, tripped over, she's like, yeah, boy. she would have been like that, and that is affection, but this was a transition in her thinking from son to Lord. She had to come to that realisation that Christ possessed, in fact, a dual nature. He was fully man and he was fully God. And this was a pivotal moment for her to leave her familiarity behind and walk in faith. My challenge to you this morning is how familiar have you gotten with Jesus in your life? Is he just the thing you do on a Sunday? How are those toes going? Or is he your everything? Is he your Lord, your Saviour, your friend? For surely he pursued you with everything and gave his life on a bloody cross, rose three days later, and has seated you in heavenly places far above every principality and power. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Positionally, he's taken you from the gutter and bring you into the palace. And so easily we can quickly forget how much he's done because we're focusing on what we don't have. What was Mary focused on? The lack of wine. She was focused on all the practicalities and the pragmatic things of life, which are important, but not the most important. Jesus corrected her thinking. Notice her response. She says, Dude, hey, you guys, do whatever he tells you to do. She wasn't offended. She's corrected, but not offended. Imagine if we lived our lives unoffendable. Can you imagine that? Someone says something nasty. Oh, well, water off a duck's back, bless them. That's the Jesus way. Our way is, I'm going to get on Facebook and tell everybody. Oh, you know, I heard recently that they're merging Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube together big corporate merger you know what they're calling it you twit face <laughs> D dad joke my wife said my wife looked at me and said dad joke I'm like yeah but kind of true am I right 
Uh, imagine if we spent the same amount of time in this as we did on face. Ooh. I once heard a preacher say, get into, get into his book, not Facebook. American preacher, of course. They like to do that sort of thing. But hey, maybe got into this book instead of Facebook. First, first and last things. Last thing. And then I'm going to get out of here. The first people to see the miracle unfold in this situation was not Mary. It was not even Jesus himself. It was the servants. Scripture says it. Nobody knew where this wine came up, but the servants knew. And what did the servants do? They, they, they simply obeyed what Christ told them to do. There's something to be said in this new season of things that God is wroughting and bringing to the forefront of the body of Christ. It's actually going to require simple obedience. It's going to take steps of faith that we may not understand. It's going to take seasons that we weren't necessarily expecting. But more than anything, it's going to require a carte blanche obedience to his purpose in our life. We don't like that, right? Because we're all Russell Crowe, you know, master and commander of our own destiny. What a flop of a movie that one was. <laughs> but that's how we live our life. We're like, Jesus, you are Lord. I'm a terrible singer. You are Lord. And he says, oh, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you give you that 50 bucks in your pocket? And you're like, uh, he was Lord. <laughs> you know, or um, Jesus, you are Lord. Go, go and pay for that lady's groceries over there. Go and mow that elderly gentleman's lawn. Go and pick that person up for church. And we sing, you were Lord. Why? Because it's inconvenient. But it's the little things where we obey. That God, by His Spirit, is training us and opening our eyes to see that there is the miraculous hand of God at work in our lives, providentially, but also powerfully and obviously, if we would trust Him and allow Him to work. We are living in strange times, church. We are. But culture is going headlong in a direction that is not for the church and for the things of God. And our task and job is not to stand up against culture and beat it back with, with, um, with opinion and violence and teach it. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to tell the truth in love. But when we step back from our responsibility to be truth tellers, to be obedient to the things that he's called us to do, we compromise our conviction and we weaken our witness. And I want to encourage, I'm encouraging the eight a.m. service this morning. The real Christians, right? The fake ones come to the next service. Have you noticed? You're here because you love Jesus. You're committed to this house and you're committed to him. I want to encourage you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep prevailing in the simple things. Keep serving him in the obscure things. Keep showing up. I feel pretty comfortable in the service. Fair bit of gray hair. I'm getting some myself. And you know, the older I get in ministry, the tendency is to think that, well, we don't have much to offer anymore. Couldn't be further from the truth. The rising generation, I'm sorry, they're the most educated, access to the most services, but lack the conviction that generations like yours and mine have carried for years. And we need the older generation in our church 
to impart that wisdom to the next generation. Like never before, our young people need shining examples of what it is to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Christ, to live by faith, to be obedient in every area, to, to model marriage well, to model church well, to model carrying the presence of God well, to model staying faithful to this Bible well. The day will come, trust me, trust me, where this book, it's, hey, if you want to be radical in 2023, stay married and read the Bible. You want to be really radical? Read it in public, but not on your phone. And check the looks you get. When I was a kid, reading my Bible on the train, nobody batted an eyelid. I read my Bible in the public now, and people walk past like I'm rolling, a mat, rolling out a mat facing east. The reality is our culture lacks the conviction of a God core and the church is salt and light in the world. And if we lose our saltiness and if we cover up our light, there'll be no light in this culture, no salt to preserve what God has done and built. It's high time we as the church stood up and carried the presence, the power of God, stayed true to the word of God, were the people of God and saw this nation turned around in Jesus' name for his glory and for people's good. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. So God's doing a new thing. He's doing it in the secret place in your life. You can't afford to get familiar with with what happened in days of old. We need to step into what is new, be obedient to Him and see His power reach people and touch people in our lives. Can you say amen? Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes? I've got 20 seconds left. Maybe right now you say, Adam, I reckon I've grown a bit familiar my relationship with Jesus. I've forgotten how to trust Him. I've let some of those dreams go a bit stale maybe in my life or some of those things I was believing God for, even in my own family. I've let them go. It's just been, been difficult, been tough. But Lord, I'm ready to trust You again. Lord, I'm ready to go again because You were faithful and You were kind. If that's You, well, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Just lift your hand. Let me pray for you this morning. God bless you, young man. God bless you. Come on, nothing to be ashamed. We're family here. Father, I thank you for every single person here this morning. I thank you that your word can be so challenging, but yet so comforting. Challenges, but yet it funnels us into your purpose. So today I pray for every single person with a hand raised that may be a little distracted at the moment, maybe lost a little faith, maybe not as focused as they once were. Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would come and speak. You would minister to those people powerfully today in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Church, God bless you. Don't forget this. He loves you. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.